In a recent benchmarking study, 71% of RIAs identified themselves as embracing of technology. What are they really getting the most out of their investment? What's at the top of the value stack for advisory firms? And how can advisors develop an unfair advantage to set themselves apart from their competitors? All this and more will be answered on this episode of Wealth Management Today. This episode of Wealth Management Today is brought to you by Ezra Group Consulting. Broker-dealers are under tremendous pressure to retain and attract new advisors, and the technology ecosystem is a key part. Ezra Group Consulting is your go-to source for building the next generation of advisor and client experiences that will supercharge your firm's growth, increase user satisfaction, and reduce operating costs. If you're a broker-dealer and you want to leapfrog your competition, contact Ezra Group today for a free one-hour consultation and 10% off your first strategic planning project. Go to ezragroup.co, that's E-Z-R-A-G-R-O-U-P.co for more information. Hello to all my wealth tech friends, and welcome to another episode of the Wealth Management Today podcast. My name is Craig Eskowitz, and I'm a technology strategy consultant in wealth management, and here I bring you new ideas from people who are on the leading edge of technology and innovation. And during our conversations, I tease out the concepts and constructs that you can use to push your envelope and stay one step ahead of the pack. On today's episode, I was lucky enough to get some time with Fidelity's digital strategy guru, Trisha Haskins. I've heard Trisha speak at conferences many times. I've always come away impressed with the depth and breadth of her knowledge. This was just one of those interviews where I wish we had a few more hours to talk because we barely scratched the surface on some of these topics. So I'll definitely be planning on having her on the show again in the future. But now I'm about done with the intro, so let's get started. Welcome to this episode of Wealth Management Today. And on the program, I am super excited to have Trisha Haskins, who works for Fidelity Institutional, where she leads the digital strategy and platform consulting team. Hey, Trisha. Hey, Craig. Uh, I have to say that I'm also super excited to be here. So thank you so much for having me. We're both super excited, which is only going to make <laughs> the whole episode more exciting. I've been wanting to have you on the program for a while, and I appreciate you making the time. And I've been reading with a very great excitement all of your uh, research that comes out of Fidelity, and it's, uh, there's lots of good stuff coming out. You know, we, we talked beforehand, we did a little prep, and mm-hmm. I, uh, there's a lot of interesting topics here to, to go over. And I really like some of the things you guys are doing in this type of research because advisors you know, are always looking for more information to help them direct where they're going and because they're all thinking about how they're moving their businesses forward. So this kind of information and, and research, I think, is really helpful. One of the things we'd, we'd, talked about, we'd, we'd, we'd mentioned was that you, ha- you guys have done some research uh, in broad trends around client expectations. And we're hearing a lot more from firms, both uh, you know, in my, my consulting firm works both with uh, clients, broker-dealers, RIAs, uh, asset managers, as well as the vendors. And both sides are all talking client expectations. It seems to be the buzzword. So what kind of data you guys are seeing? What kind of trends are you seeing around client expectations? Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's really interesting. And it, it, this is, might be, you know, one of the, the things that, that 
I am most interested in because, you know, it really is all about the client. So it's really great to see firms really focusing on the unique needs of each of their clients, which frankly, those unique needs are what makes it challenging. But it's no secret to anyone that today's consumers have high expectations, right? So when it comes to, you know, financial services or really, you know, any industry, the consumers are based are, are basing their experiences, whether it's making a reservation, you know, using rideshare, anything, that is their baseline for their experience expectation, right? So we believe that that investors' expectations will continue to increase as it relates to financial advice, to planning and service and transparency. And that focus on the consumer and what their needs is going to continue to grow uh, and evolve over time. I mean, if you think about the way that, that folks think about, you know, how they want to be, how they want to be communicated to, what their specific goals are, what are the, the things that are going to help, help them achieve fulfillment. And we will talk about the sort of the top of the value stack, the, the advice value stack. It's not age related, right? It's not asset related necessarily. It's really about that individual consumer sensibility. And so we're finding that the best advisors out there are understanding that they need to be more sophisticated in the ways they understand their clients and their level of transparency and collaboration and communication and de delivering that based on that individual, but doing it in a scalable way. So let me drill down on what you just said. So when you say advisors need to be more sophisticated, what do you mean by sophisticated? Yeah, sophisticated in the way they understand the sensibilities of their end client, right? So if you think about it, every woman, right, out there isn't going to want to work with an advisor the same way just because they happen to be a woman. Same thing with millennials or with boomers or with ultra high net worth or people who are just getting into saving. So what the advisors are going to have to understand about their end clients is how do they want to be dealt with? So do they want a, uh, an annual meeting in the office with a paper, you know, report book? Do they only want uh, to be dealt with via online um, capabilities, video chat? Do they want something in between? Do they want very heavy and deep reporting or do they want just, just the facts, just the basics? So understanding how that client, how that investor wants to uh, be worked with is what's really gonna help these advisors. And that's much more sophisticated to my earlier point than just segmenting by age group or by level of wealth or by male or female. Gotcha. So when you're saying sophisticated, you mean more sophisticated or more granular in their client segmentation? Right. Exactly. Exactly. It's well, all about tailoring that experience to that to that client, right? So it's the mm -hmm. so what what we believe is that we're seeing is here at Fidelity, we believe that we're seeing the total evolution of of the wealth management industry, right? So one that started off as access to products, and then you get many products, and, and you start to see things innovate. And in the last decade, with just technology becoming ubiquitous, which is another trend that we're seeing, it's really about how to drive your relationship with that end client and how can you use technology to help you have that relationship 
tailored toward that end client. Are there other characteristics that you recommend advisors look at? You said not age, asset, or gender related, for example. So are there other Mm -hmm. characteristics you suggest they mix in, like geographic, where they live, or what industry they're in? Sure. I mean, so that's a really good question. And, and I think there are any number of ways you c- you can segment. You know, when we work with advisors, we, we try to understand what it is that your unfair advantage is, right? So if you're, if you're a firm that focuses on, let's say, a specific profession, right? So understand what it is about what you do for the folks in that profession and what's the best way to deliver on your unfair advantage. And then within that context, you can understand, hey, how do they like to be communicated with? How frequently do they like to be communicated with? What is the kind of information that they want? What is what are the things that I need to be more proactive about, aware of? Maybe, you know, if they have they have children who are, you know, they're saving to go to college or are are getting out of college and joining the workplace. Uh, you know, maybe they have parents that they need to consider um, for you know long-term care and things like that. So there's a lot of different things that that you can look at as an advisor, always keeping in mind what are the sensibilities of that end client and what's the best way to to work with them to help them achieve their goals. That is an interesting phrase you you used, uh, unfair advantage. Yes. Uh, it it's kind of turns it on its head. We usually I usually hear the term uh, what's your you know what's your differentiator, what's your value? Mm-hmm. But unfair advantage kind of it's sort of negative and a positive in the same same phrase, right? You you wanna you wanna be unfair against your competitors, you wanna have an advantage against them. So uh, that, that's it's I like the way you turn that phrase because it's easier to remember. Great. Excellent. Perfect. So I, I mean it, I do think it, it it is. It's what what makes you unique versus your competitors. You spoke about geography and I think that before this real, you know, explosion of fintech, geography became an, un- it was in itself an unfair advantage, right? Because the expectation of, of many of the investors were that you would do a face-to-face meeting on a periodic basis. Now that technology has really, uh, in some ways, eliminated, um, not always, but in some ways, many ways, eliminated geography as that unfair advantage, um, what is, what's the thing that makes you special? Um, what is your target market? How do you deliver on what it is that you do best and what your unfair advantage is? And then, you know, how do you use technology or, or your service model uh, or your segmentation to, to prove that to your, your end clients every day? Earlier, you mentioned the top of the value stack. Can, can you explain what the value stack is and what exactly is at the top? You bet. You bet. Yeah. So the value stack is a, is, our version of Bain's uh, advice value stack. And what it is, is it's a way to think about how advisors deliver value to their end end clients. And there's lots of ways to deliver value. And we think that the, the, the foundation of the value stack is what advisors have been really focused on to date, right? This is about asset allocation. It's about income generation, cash flow. It's about money manager selection. It's really about managing the money, right? This is what the core has been. Now, what we've seen is that advisors, as the value that they provide has has evolved over time, 
they've really started to move in. Many have really started to move in to the next phase of achieving goals. And this is a lot of the planning-led practices where you're working with clients to understand what are what is it that you want to do, whether that's retire comfortably, send your kids to college, um, you know, healthcare, uh, things like that, right? And so that second level of the value stack is really about planning. Now, moving up, and here's where we get from into sort of the EQ idea here is how do, how do you deliver on peace of mind as an advisor, right? How do they know that if something happens to a loved one, that they're going to be able to take care of that loved one? Um, how do we provide them as advisors more discretionary time? You know, six in 10 uh, people in a, in a study that we did said that they don't have enough time to do what it is they want to do. You know, how do we help them have that peace of mind and that freedom from worry? And then the, the top apex of that value stack is really achieving your life's purpose, right? Living, leaving a legacy. Any advisor that can work with their clients among along all of those levels of the value stack, I mean, that's just a tremendous relationship that you have with your client. Now, we know that that there are some folks who want to focus and should focus on, and their unfair advantages on managing the money. And that's fantastic because at the end of the day, in order to move up each rung of the value stack, you sort of have to earn your right to move move there. But if that managing the money is not your unfair advantage and you really want to do planning or you want to move up to peace of mind or fulfillment or like a life coach, then you know maybe you, you outsource that part of it depending on what it is within your firm that you do best, that's the idea is moving to the best rung of the value stack and moving up that value stack to help your end clients. So let me jump in just a moment. You mentioned EQ. So that's emotional yeah. quotient? Emotional quotient, yes. Yes, I think that's been around since like 1960, but but it was really emotional intelligence. I think that book came out in 1994, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but that's when it really gained popularity. So you, can you just give a quick, like a 30-second explanation on emotional quotient? Yeah, really. So yes. So EQ, emotional quotient, is really. So if you think about IQ as a measure of a level of intelligence, um, EQ is really about uh, your your the, your ability to relate to and understand and respond to people, right? It's about that connection, that behavioral connectivity amongst people and knowing and understanding what other people are feeling around you and being able to react uh, in a positive way. So would you say advisors have to uh, have a high EQ in order to move up the value stack? So, you know, I would say it, it certainly helps, right? Because if you think about you know, some of these things around, I mean, achieving, achieving goals, clearly there is both the sort of the num numeric part of that, right? But if you also think about financial planning as, and planning and achieving goals as, as part, the investment part of it, but also the sort of the behavior modification and behavior management and, and helping people make the best decisions, because if you think about it, you know, humans aren't very good at making near-term decisions that have a long-term impact, right? So having that high EQ and help pe helping people um, walk through that absolutely is, is helpful. And then clearly peace of mind, 
very much, uh, you know, an EQ uh, related. It's it's related to your emotions and and how you how you're feeling, and as well as fulfillment. Really getting to the core of what that investor or a client would like to achieve as their life's goal. I mean, that's that's powerful stuff. It certainly is, and it's really different than advisors have positioned themselves previously. So, I mean, I've heard this term a number of times that you want to be more of a life coach. So it sounds like you're sort of saying the same thing. I mean, I think it is really interesting. Um, and, and, you know, we've seen a, a, some folks focus on that, provided that they do have that the, the foundation of, of managing the money set up in a way that is going to help do its part to meet that client's needs. But, but what a tr- how, how powerful is it for an advisor to be, you know, one of their clients' first phone calls if they have a challenge, whether that's related to how their portfolio is performing, you know, versus, you know, you know, thinking about sending which college to send their kids to or, or you know, any number of other things, how to make sure that their parents are going to be well taken care of. Um, these are emotional uh, things that, that, that people need to consider. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, thinking about how as the advisor you can serve that role, I, I think that is tremendously powerful. And if you're able to do that and, and develop those relationships um, with those clients, you know, I'd argue they would, uh, they'll, they'll, they'll stick with you. And, and if they believe in you as that person for them, I would, I would also venture to say they're likely going to be a great referral source for you. Um, and so what a great way to get, uh, organic growth, not just through, you know, referrals to sort of friends, but, but family and, and next generation. And so bringing it back sort of full circle, you know, how do you, set up your firm to be able to, to, to take on this, this growth to meet the expectations of the next generation um, and to serve them in the way that they want to be served. Because, you know, while earlier I said, you know, it's not just boomers want this millennials and Gen Z want, want that. And don't forget Gen X um, of which I'm a proud member. But the reality is, is that, you know, people are becoming more and more open to to technology. So how can you as a firm ensure that you're using it well, you're using it to support those relationships with your clients, helping them achieve their goals um, and, and doing things in a way that's, that's tailored to them. Proud members of the Gen X generation, we must unite. Yes. <laughs> We're being passed by quickly. We still have the best music and the best movies, I think. Exactly. Yes. I like it. We 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 believe that, of course. That's right. Of course. There's you're, when we're talking about a life coach and and building strong relationships and and how that's changing, and how you want to be even closer to the client than you were in the past. I was um, at a forum for for chief operating officers for some of the top RIAs in the country last week. And one of them mentioned a great one. One of the things that his firm uh, talks about to their advisors, so, and saying, "How do you judge that you are you have built a close relationship with your clients?" And like you said, you want to be the first phone call, and that that shows what how close you are to your client. And you're not just talking about money and finances; you're also talking about their life's purpose and and their families. Mm-hmm. And 
He said, to, the way you, uh, your, your goal should be that your clients feel comfortable inviting you to their children's birthday party. Yeah. But you're almost part of the family in, in effect. And again, well, yeah. that's, that's just a, a general, a generalization. The thought is, Hey, I, you really need to build that relationship to, to, in order to protect your, your, your business. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, it, it is interesting because, you know, getting involved with, with the children, even when they don't meet the asset minimums and even when, you know, the totality of the parents' assets, when, you know, they're handed down, if, you know, if it's divided evenly amongst all the children and then individually it doesn't, say, achieve your minimums, how can you ensure that you have a way to continue that relationship? continue to nurture those relationships and 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 you know one of the things that that I think is tremendously powerful that I've seen some firms do is for the younger generations focus on uh, financial literacy um, and and you know that that's one of the things where I think there's a tremendous opportunity for for lots of folks not just advisors to to increase financial literacy for the young folks and to continue those relationships from a multi-generational perspective and, and leverage the tools at hand, you know, like technology to, to ensure that that's a multi-generational relationship for your firm. And that says a lot for your firm. And it says a lot for um, the talent you can bring into the firm as well. Uh, you know, giving them th that young talent a nice, starting point, you know, perhaps with the next generation, um, you know, to really sort of learn the business from the folks who've been around for a long time. Indeed. I want to take a little break from this episode to talk to you about one of my favorite sponsors, the Invest in Others Foundation. Invest in Others is a nonprofit. You can find them at investinothers.org. And they look to raise money and give out awards to charities that are sponsored by financial advisors. So it's financial advisors, uh, favorite charities, charities that they spend a lot of time supporting. So Invest in Others looks to get sponsorships from the industry and funnel that money to advisors' favorite charities. I really like this, this charity uh, and this nonprofit. I think you should take a look at it. Again, investinothers.org. They've got a couple other programs. One is a Grants for Good program. Uh, again, delivering money to different needy organizations and needy groups. They're also starting a corporate awards program, which is going to be a little bit different, but still within the industry. Uh, another way for financial services, uh, wealth management corporations to help uh, donate money to people in need. So I really like Invest in Others. I think you should take a look at it. Invest in Others. Let me spell this for you. I-N-V-E-S-T-I-N-O-T-H-E-R-S dot O. RG. So let's shift gears a little bit. We can talk about, I could talk about that for quite some time, but then we wouldn't get to the other parts of things we wanted. Mm -hmm. to. So we wanted to talk about the benchmarking study and how yeah. you're measuring firms embracing technology and the cultural approach to technology. Can you elaborate on that a bit? You bet. You bet. So, you know, we do the, um, we do the, the, the RIA benchmarking study every year, and I'm a huge fan and a huge proponent of looking at data and sort of the, the combination of the 
the IQ and the EQ, and then, and we'll get hopefully later on, we'll get into the, the DQ, which is uh, by McKinsey. But um, looking at the data that is reported by the firms that, that respond to the study, this year's was focused on technology. And we are interested in understanding the evolution because back in uh, 2014, we did a study that included a significant number of questions around technology. And we found a, a sort of a subset of, of advisors as we were doing analysis that we called e-advisors. And these e-advisors were folks who did things like they had a higher adoption of CRM, they, uh, in, they had increased level of integration, they had more automated workflows, they used more of the right systems, meaning it, it wasn't an overabundance of systems, but they were using the right systems for their firms and so on and so forth. There was 22 different things that they had been doing. And so going forward a couple of years, I want to go, go back and say, all right, What's changing, right? So if you think about the overall technology environment and, and the RIA environment specifically, over the past few years, a lot has changed, right? There's a lot of M&A going on. There's a lot of private equity in the system, whether that's in sort of the RIA business or whether that's in fintech. You know, there's just a, a lot of activity. So you see it as a negative or a positive impact on the industry? I think it, like anything, there there's either. Overall, I think that the focus on, on fintech is, is tremendously positive because I am a true believer that, you know, te using technology and using it well is going to help you grow your business. It's going to help you create scale and efficiency, and it's going to help you deepen relationships. So, so I'm a huge fan of that. And to the extent that fintech competition can help, you know, make the, the solutions out there better, fantastic. I think the other side of that coin is that it becomes uh, it's it's hard to stay up with what's going on. There's a lot of moving parts. And so, you know, what do these different things mean? So, uh, you know, it, it, that, that, that's, it's not easy for, for firms in particular, because you know what firms care about? They care about helping their clients, right? And they care about their associates and they care sure. about running great businesses. So, so, th so there's a other side of that, that coin, but I think that's, that's sort of like anything, but I think what's interesting in, in the study, and this is kind of going back um, early, we were kind of what we were talking about earlier was sort of cultural aspects, right? We found that of uh, the, the firms that we surveyed, we found it a really interesting, it's hard to call it a subset because it's, so, it's such a significant number, but 71% of firms identified themselves as embracing technology. And so, so, so what, do we, what do we mean by that? We mean that they are taking a, an approach where they believe that technology is going to be a key part of their value proposition and what's going to help make their firm you know, successful in the future or continue to be successful in the future. Um, and on and so forth. So why is that interesting? It's interesting to me because as we look at that, you could take, let's take the two of us and let's say we're using the, we have the exact same technology ecosystem in our firms. Let's say we're both, you know, advisors, same amount of assets, okay. you know, same client that, you know, all else being equal. 
one of us could be wildly successful in using the, that technology, and one of us might just not, not really just not like it and feel like, why, you know, this is not worth it. So, what's the difference there? What's right? the differentiator? How do you know the right? difference? What's the difference? So the idea of the embracers, it's similar to the e-advisors where these are folks who are committed to getting more out of their technology for understanding and believing that technology can be a differentiator in attracting clients, in attracting talent, in, in merger opportunities. So if you're, you know, let's say you're looking to acquire, um, will, will these advisors believe that the technology ecosystem that you have and how well you run it can be one of the, the, the points of differentiation for you, right? They're also more likely to use the full range of solutions. So, so again, if, if we both had the same tech ecosystem, but I was committed to staying, you know, up to date on all the latest releases, continuing to integrate as, as you know, the, the different components rolled out different integrations, um, and you know, really focusing on you know 100% adoption of my CRM and so on and so forth. Those are things where I'm committing to do that, and I'm getting more out of my tech stack than if I did not do that. So you're measuring. If I could jump in, so you're talking about firms that identify they're self-identifying, yes. embracing technology, and you define that as staying current, keeping your, your technology updated, a good adoption rate. Do you also measure objectively, independently, how many of those firms are actually embracing tech? They may think they are, but they're not. Is that something you guys look at? Well, what we do, look, since we found this subset here of these embracers, what, we were, what we're looking at and trying to understand is what if you are an embracer, what does your firm look like from a data perspective versus the, the sort of the broad cohort? And so one of the things that we found, and this is not to say there's, um, you know, causality here. It's, it's just an interesting thing that we want to dig into is that we do see that these, these firms that self-identify as embracers, they do have higher revenues. They have a higher uh, average organic organic growth rate. They have a high higher median three-year CAGR. Um, that said, they also do spend more on technology, right? So this is an interesting phenomenon, particularly as we look at D McKinsey's DQ and the digital quotient, which is uh, the organization, the digital strategy, the digital capabilities, and most importantly, McKinsey said, the digital culture, those firms, and this is across, this isn't just FinTech, this is across firms, that were focused on a strong digital culture were two and a half times more likely to achieve their goals. So that's why this is something that is this idea of the embracers and what they're doing, it's worth keeping an eye on. And that this, this year's study, plus the, the e-advisor study, you know, we we can see some. There's something about these folks who are really using technology well that it seems to be making a difference in their firm. It seriously does. So you're saying that they have these firms that self-identify as embracing mm -hmm. have higher revenue, 
higher organic growth rate and a higher median uh, CAGR, so CAGR, the, uh, the, the higher growth rate mm-hmm. overall, or their, their asset growth rate. Right. And, yep. and that's consistent. So and are there any other benchmark uh, statistics that you can share besides the, uh, the self-embracing or the self-identified embracing technology firms? So there are a couple that that I'd love to share that I think are are interesting. Um, one of them goes to the whole idea of the value stack, right? With the foundation being investment management, moving up to or managing the money, moving up to um, um, achieving goals, um, free from worry, and then ultimately fulfillment. Um, embracer firms that were are are focused on they are focused above the managing the money part of the value stack, right? So what we found was that 16% of, of embracers stated improving investment performance was a top five goal versus 30% of the non-embracer firms. So that is really interesting in that, you know, is there something around the sensibilities of these firms that are looking to, you know, move up the value stack you know, is there some sort of that with the idea of, of leveraging technology that goes together? So that's one that I definitely want to to keep keep an eye on. There's another thing around, and you talked a little bit about data, right, EQ and IQ. The embracers really do take a, a, a data-driven approach to, to managing their firm. They're, they're significantly more likely um, to use KPIs and, and, and metrics to manage their business there was 22% versus 8% of others. So it's really interesting, uh, you know, from the, you know, what these folks are doing differently, both from sort of that, that, that EQ, the cultural, um, the DQ perspective, but then also, you know, leveraging data to understand where they're at with their firm. So it's a, it's a nice combination, the same way a firm, you know, we believe you need, you need the, both the IQ and EQ and, and in, in the in also the DQ to to really um, you know succeed in, in this sort of transformation that we're in. Uh, it seems like they're they're doing not only with their clients, but they're also doing it with their business. Yeah. So using metrics, twenty two percent versus eight percent. That's three times more likely mm-hmm. than non embracers, but still yes. a relatively low percentage of the total mm-hmm. embracers. So seventy eight percent of embracers don't use metrics. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that really interesting? It's, it goes to, you know, there's tremendous opportunity for advisors out there. If you think about that, it's 22% to your point is it's much higher for embracers than it is for non-embracers, yet it's still low. So there is still a tremendous opportunity for those folks who want to use business metrics and data as they run their business. It's very similar to what we saw in when we did a um, study in 2018 on AI, right? So AI, huge potential. You know, we know that firms are thinking about how to implement artificial intelligence. It's hard to really know how to implement it. You know, we saw that 64% of advisors said that they wanted to use AI but only 5% had adopted it into into their practice. So you think about that, that is tremendously 
a powerful opportunity for those folks who continue to move forward, who embrace technology, who, who push the envelope. We found as well that, that 48% of RIAs in the study named investing in, in new technology as a top five strategic initiative, right? Only 48%. Now, you could look at that one of two ways. You could look at it and say, well, maybe they're still working on getting the most out of their current technology. But I would argue that sure. I would argue that that technology, whether it's the use or use of or 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 investing in new, should absolutely be uh, a top five strategic priority for any firm. Mm. Yeah. Well, so why only this so forty eight percent? That's not even a majority. Not even half. Yep. Not I mean, they are clear that they're focused on growth, right? They're focused on client service. They're focused on the, and those are all uh, the right things. And what's their their strategy going forward? Mm -hmm. um, you know, and and so what do they think about talent? I mean, you know, there's a talent crunch out there. All those things, right? So it's about well, prioritization. Um, but I would say that, and I would argue that that technology can help you in a lot of different ways across all those. But technology, as we just said earlier, can help you uh, become a more attractive buyer. Technology can help you attract the best talent. I had, there was a firm that I that I worked with, and the, the firm owner was was telling me of a story where, um, you know, he was there was a race for this this particular uh, associate, this this young talented individual, and um, and while the 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 overall compensation was less at his firm, and, and this is not you know five times less, right? So, but. There's a, it was a bit less than, than the other firm. The associate ended up going to his firm because he uh, used technology really well. In fact, he's one of the, the, the first firms that I knew of to, to go totally paperless. So um, he attributed that, that use of technology as one of, one of the, the key reasons why um, he was able to attract some, some young talent to, to his firm. I would definitely agree with that based on the experience I'm having with some of my broker-dealer customers, where they're saying something similar, that payouts have sort of equalized across firms and product is very similar across firms, but what has become a differentiator is their technology stack. And advisors all talk, and you know, they, they know uh, from other firms what they're using, and they know the problems that their firm has, and they're more likely to move to a firm where they they know they well, they believe that they're going to have more efficiency, better effective use mm -hmm. of technology. That's um, going to allow them to scale their businesses better. Mm -hmm. I mean, absolutely. It's it's like you know when we look at the end client, right? They're they're what people want is time, right? How can we give people more time to do the things that they want? And the same idea is how can advisors find the place where they are given the time to do the things that they're passionate about, whether it's working with more clients or going out there in the, into the community or, you know, focusing on financial education. To the extent you can leverage technology to both ensure that folks can do their, their job well, but also give them the time to do the things they're passionate about. I think that's a win. Um, you know, and, and in the past, you know, I've been in in this uh, part of the industry for for a long time, and what was once about oh, you know, I want to use you know 
that new cool, cool new technology or, or that new uh, cool technology or should I go to the cloud or not or so on and so forth, you know, I, I think that, that folks have, have come to the point where they know that technology is, is going to help them. They want to find the right best solutions and ensure they're integrated and get everybody using it. And these are no simple things, you know, but, it, but at the end of the day, it kind of just becomes like air, right? Technology is there and folks are using it and, and they want to keep using it, but they don't want to have to focus on it. They just want to be able to do their job and, and, and grow their business and, and help their clients. That's a good point. And sometimes they don't really even know why they're using it necessarily, but they know that it's helping them. But when you mentioned yep. AI, 64% of advisors said they want to use AI, but only 5% have adopted. Is that a yep. bit of the shiny new toy syndrome? Hey, that's the latest thing I want to use it, but nobody really understands how it can help them. I think we're getting closer. I think I do. Um, I think there is, you know, there, there was a bit of, oh, what, to your point, you know, what is the shiny new toy? Um, but I do think that um, what people are realizing is that there is no silver bullet out there. But the concept of AI, of taking data, right, of taking, you know, m this sort of machine learning and taking what technology can do to provide the human and, and the advisors more insights to be better at doing what it is that they do with their clients, that's the promise of it. That's the promise of it, right? So, you know, if you think about, you know, predictive analytics, what's the next best action? Boston Consulting Group uh, did a study and they, they did a study around predictive analytics, right, which is, you know, one component of AI. And, and you know, the, the findings were significant. Uh, there was an increase in client acquisition, uh, uh, 10 to 20 percent, um, you know, a 30 to 40 percent increase in net promoter score. I mean, that's happy, happy clients, um, you know, and that, that may speak to the increase in client acquisition, because if you have happy clients with high NPS, then you're more likely to get a referral, um, you know, a reduction in client attrition, which is great, reduction by 10 to 20 percent. So, um, so. I do think, you know, it, you know, started out a little bit as this shiny new new toy, but I think what people are realizing is that there's real power in it. Or, and I do also think that people are starting to understand the importance of a fulsome data set in order to best know how to help your your clients and how to do. Um, things for them that, that they need, that they're aware of, and that they might not be aware of. Do you know what uh, specific AI tools the Boston Consulting Group study included, or was it just AI in general? Well, it was the Global, it's a global Wealth 2018 uh, study, mm -hmm. Seizing the Analytics Advantage. That was the BCG study. Got it. So we don't know what specific tools they were using. Me, so say more, meaning are they using CRM? Are they using, right. you know, a right. third-party aggregator, that kind of thing? Yeah, where, where was that predict, where were those predictive analytics manifesting themselves in there? Right, so, so I'll, go, I'll go separately. I'll, I'll tell you, you know, what we're seeing is, um, you know, there's a lot of, de it, it depends on what it is that, that you want to do and what you want to assess, right? So 
clearly, if you have um, what was historically called, you know, portfolio accounting system, it's really more like a portfolio management system, right? Um, you can bring that data in from all of the financial institutions or, or many of the financial institutions, at least the investment-related information, right? And then if you leverage your financial planning system, then you can pull in the other side of the balance sheet or other things that, you know, you otherwise wouldn't pull into your portfolio reporting or performance management system. And then you combine that, you know, with CRM. And I, I like to call it, this is the sort of the trifecta, right? And this isn't the only, these aren't the only components of your ecosystem, but these are sort of the core three that we're seeing. So with the CRM, you have all of that, the, the data as it relates to your clients as the person that they are, whether that's their their address, their relationships, their birthdays, the things that are important to them, and so on and so forth. You could pull in stuff from, you know, their 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 different profiles on, on social media and, and so on and so forth. Then you can bring in all this data. And what a, what a very sort of a powerful um, data set to be able to, to anticipate uh, your client's needs depending on where they are in their life, whether it is, you know, thinking about the, you know, thinking about having kids or sending the kids to college and, you know, what, what is the best avenue for that? And what are the, the right um, decision points for that? And how do they think about their parents who are getting, um, you know, to a certain age and how do they think about estate planning and, 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 and so on and so forth. So um, those are great. Mm -hmm. Three sort of great places to have, a data set and you know you can obviously pull in other third there's other third party aggregators um, but it does require and we've talked about this a lot not today but in general you know integration making sure all, all the data is connected making sure you can get that that one view and that that overall lens to be able to make the best decisions for your clients and on that note I hate to say this but we're running out of time Time flies when you're having a super time. Right. Uh, <laughs> you're just a cornucopia of data, which was really uh, life me up, because that's, that's the kind of stuff I, I love, and I'm sure my audience loves it too, all the, all the statistics that came out of your benchmarking study, and really, really appreciate that. Yeah, you bet. And, and thank you for, for having me. I mean, this, I, I, really, uh, I really enjoy talking to you and sharing, you know, what we've learned, and, and I hope that, that folks find find a, you know, one or two things that they can they can use in their practice. Yeah, Trish, I really appreciate you being on the show, and I'm, I'm hoping to have you back uh, sometime in the future. Excellent. Thank you. I look forward to that. Hey, everyone. It's Craig again. Just a few quick items before we go. If you like this episode, please give it a five-star review on iTunes. I would very much appreciate it. And remember to check out the show notes for links to everything we talked about on this episode. For more information on wealth management technology, you can read my Wealth Management Today blog at wmtoday.com. Thanks for tuning in, and I'm looking forward to talking to you all again next week. <music>